Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be back with you, my southern family. We had the worst winter on record in recorded history in Canada. So thanks a lot. So the, um, the elders asked me this morning to speak on 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I, I, we will uh, we'll read that chapter together. I will read this morning out of the uh, New International Version of the Scriptures. First, um, Samuel chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord calls Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not uh, yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not uh, yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family. From the beginning to end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will, ne will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What is it that he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you, O God, this morning. We pray, Father, as we open up thy precious word, Father. 
that uh, this passage, O oh God, would be practical to us. Uh, it would be there for our instruction, for our learning. And Father, I pray as you've just given me some thoughts surrounding this chapter, God, that I would bring them forth uh, clearly and certainly uh, glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 3, the calling of Samuel. And uh, there's three, at least for me, three major themes in this chapter that I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, the first one is never underestimate the power of sin in the home. Second, never underestimate the power of prayer in the home. And thirdly, never underestimate the certainty of prophecy. So those are the three themes. I'm glad Aaron sort of gave me a little warm-up this morning on the third point, talking about prophecy. But um, let's look at this under those uh, three headings. Um, never underestimate the power of sin in the home. It says in uh, the very first verse that we read today that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. In the context of what we're studying here this morning, we're looking at a time that was pretty bleak spiritually in the nation of Israel. It had been going on for over 400 years. Actually, since... Joshua passed away, the nation of Israel sort of went downhill spiritually. And here and there, there was pockets of revival. But when you go through the book of Judges, which takes about 400 years, and before we get to Samuel, things were pretty bleak spiritually. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Can I tell you, Christian... That the word of the Lord is rare in our day. Because of my profession, and I have a, a radio show, a TV show back in Canada, I get to speak in a lot of churches because they know I'm a Christian, and I often get invited and I'm happy to go. But you have no idea, Christian, how many times I have been approached after I've preached the word of God that they would tell me in churches which would be evangelical that, you know what? We never hear that kind of preaching anymore. Christian, listen to me. You're at Boulevard Bible Chapel, if you didn't notice the sign on the door coming in. Can I tell you, what happens here is rare. It's rare. Where the Word of God is cherished. It is preached consistently. I tell you folks, I was telling Malcolm that um, on Wednesday night, it was such a joy for me and for Rosie to be here. You Skyped in a young person that I was very involved in his life. Uh, and so was Rosie. He came up on the screen on Wednesday night from Nicaragua. 
And he is a young man from Timmins, Ontario. That's my hometown. Remember what I told you. Santa Claus, Timmins. So when you look at a map, you Americans, you know, you think you're the only country in the world. There's Canadians. You know, there's us. You know, I know you don't know that, but we're there, okay? Uh, somebody came to me the other day. Tony, did, I know a guy in Canada. Do you know him too? Hey! There's 30 million of us up there, you know? Anyway. Um, but you know what he said on Wednesday night? really struck me, Mitch. Okay? One of my son's very good friends growing up. He said, you know what? The opposition, because the question was asked to him, what is your opposition in Nicaragua? You know what he said? The Catholic Church. That doesn't surprise me. I come from there. That doesn't surprise me. The only short-term mission I went on went to Ireland. Folks, go to Southern Ireland and preach the gospel. You'll see you'll be opposed by religion. You'll be opposed by religion. But he said the second one that opposes him is the evangelicals. Now that shocked me until he explained himself. And Mitch said on Wednesday night that the health, wealth, and happiness gospel has pervaded Nicaragua and Africa and America. And people love to get their ears tickled, don't they? They want to hear um, that, uh, you know, you deserve it. And if you're not healthy, and if you're not wealthy, and you're not happy, it's because you, don't ha you have a lack of faith. And send us your money too. Now I tell you folks, those are the churches that are growing today. Because the Bible is very clear that in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of treasure, but certainly not lovers of God. And they will surround themselves with teachers who will tickle their ears. Folks, you thank God for what you have here. You thank God for what you have here. You see, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Never underestimate the power of sin in the home. Now we're going to put our focus for a few minutes on Eli. Never underestimate the power of sin in the home. Eli, it tells us... Uh, Two things about him. One, he couldn't see very well. His eyes were dim. But they were more than that physically. They were like that spiritually too. It says the second thing about Eli is that he was lying down. And he certainly was lying down on the job. Um... God wasn't talking to Eli anymore. He should have been. He should have been. 
Eli was the high priest. But God wasn't talking to him anymore. And you know why? Because Eli could not deal and would not deal with the sin in his household. And Eli, if you read about him, let's give him some credit. Eli was zealous for the things of God. Eli was a better priest than he was a father. I've seen that, by the way, in a practical sense, where I've seen people who are great to be around here. They're very spiritual here. They get home, and their homes are a shipwreck. Tough to be a parent, isn't it? I see all these little kids. I love this place because of that, too. I see all those little kids. And um, when they come up and say their little verses, I thank the Lord for little kids. But I tell you what, folks, and even if you're here today and those are not your kids, you have a responsibility to those kids. Because God put them in this place. And every one of us have a responsibility to those children. But Eli... Eli was a great priest, but he was a terrible father. And the Bible says, the Bible says this in the book of Proverbs, that only a fool does not discipline their children. Now, I told you this story maybe a while back, and you might remember it and you might not. Parents today, in my opinion, one of the biggest problems that we have is... The lack of discipline. Uh, Rosie and I were in a mall in Toronto. Uh, when we were coming down here in January, we had a little layover. And we were there. And then we were flying out uh, the next morning. And we went to a mall. We did a little bit of shopping. Blah, blah, blah. We saw a little girl, six, seven, around that age, beat the living stuffing out of her mother. I mean, bam. Bam, bam. Three would have been enough for me, maybe. But I mean at least ten punches to the mother's gut because she wasn't getting what she wanted. And here's the mother, thought she was a lawyer. She was negotiating. You know, we're going to have a time out. We're going to, you're not going to be able to get this or get that if you're not a good little girl. Bang, bang. Folks, listen to me. There is a time to negotiate, and there's a time to spank their bottoms. That little girl needed a spanking. I almost went over and did it for the mother. <laughs> and you know what? I wasn't upset with the little kid. I was upset with the mother. And Rosie had took her everything to lasso me and grab me and hold me back because I was going to go over there and, 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 and talk to the mother. Folks, don't bury your head in the sand. Know what's going on in your homes. It's not an easy thing. But be honest. Look at your home. What's happening? What's happening in that home? 
It's very important. You see, God couldn't speak to um, Eli because Eli was not listening to what God was trying to tell him. Um, As a parent, you get to interfere. Did you hear what I said? As a parent, you get to interfere. Your kids are like arrows. They ought to have, you ought to have a spiritual goal for them. And you get to interfere when that arrow is going off target. That's part of discipline, which God is going to hold you responsible, parent, for. I'm glad there's a lot of parents here, and even parents who've got young kids. Don't bury your head in the sand. Understand where your children are at. When they're small, when they get a little bit older, when they start having relationships. You know what? Parent, listen to me. You get to choose your kids' friends. Did you hear that? You know what I used to tell my kids? Do you eat? Yep. Whose food do you eat? Well, Daddy, it's your food. Yeah, you bought, you paid for it. Yeah, that's right. And therefore, therefore, I get to dictate. I even tell you who your friends are going to be. Because if you've got a bad friend... You're not going to have that bad friend for long. That goes on to teenagehood. And then they start, you know, oh, look at that little buttercup over there. Yeah. You get to, you get to dictate there too. Because you see, you don't want to be like Eli. You want to, you know, you don't want Eli, it was happening all around him. His boys were out of control. His boys despised, like Esau, their very heritage. Have you ever seen Christian or brought up in a Christian home kids like that? I have. Want me to give you case histories? Where mommy and daddy, oh, you know, everything was all, it'll all work out. Everything will just, we're praying it'll work out. You know what? There's a time to pray and there's a time for action. You know what? Um, I counseled a, a, a young man uh, not long ago. I said, you've got to get a hold of your, your, your son. You know what? I was on Facebook. You might say, well, Tony, what are you doing on Facebook? Well, I'm a dinosaur, I know. And I don't know much, my son says, when you get on a computer, Dad, you're painful to watch. But you know what? And God knows my heart, so I'm just going to tell you what I do with Facebook. I try and befriend a lot of people in my chapel and their kids. Because you know what? You're going to find out what's going on with those kids. You can find out. doesn't take long. Out of the abundance of the heart, the, the, the mouth typeth. I think that's in Scripture somewhere. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth texts us. And it won't be long, parent, if you're awake, you're going to find out exactly what your kids are up to. And then when they run into the bedroom and they're on that computer, that ought not to be in your home. 
everything done in plain sight. And you got permission to get in there and have a look. Did you hear that, parent? Don't be an Eli. Don't be an Eli. Have a look and see what your kids are doing. What are they up to? Who are their friends? What are they saying? And put a stop to it. And the rules are this. You eat? Yep. I'm the boss. When you can pay for your own food, you be the boss. But in the meantime, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't be an Eli. Never underestimate the power of sin in the home. Secondly, never underestimate the power of prayer in the home. The power of prayer in the home. We know the story because if you've been here in the last few weeks, you've read the first two chapters of First Samuel. What a wonderful story, isn't it? Uh, you know, Samuel just didn't happen by chance, you know. There were godly mummy who at the very knee of mummy preached it into that young Samuel all about the Lord. Never underestimate the power of prayer in the home. I tell you parents, you've got to wear out the carpet praying for your kids. Because the power of the devil, the power of the world, and the power of the flesh will be after your kids. Never underestimate the power of prayer. You come up against the very kingdom of Satan himself. He might not be able to get you, but if he can get your kids, oh, what a victory that would be for him. Never underestimate the power of prayer in the home. It's interesting, though, in verse 7. Look at this. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now, I realize in the context of this, it's possible here, and I think it is, that Samuel just hadn't heard from the Lord before. But let me make it practical for, for what I uh, want to uh, share with you this morning. Is it possible that Samuel wasn't saved yet? Be careful, uh, parents, okay? Just again, this is for you. Because so often, kids are pretty sharp, you know. Have you noticed that? Kids are smart. They got you figured out, by the way. Right? And they know if mommy and daddy, when it comes to discipline, are not on the same page, they're going to figure that out. And uh, can I point the finger today? You know me anyways, right? You know me. I, I tell it like it is. I can't help my... I got the can't help it. Okay? Daddy. All the daddies, look up. And you young guys, someday you hope to be a daddy. Look up. I'm talking to you. You're responsible for that home. At the end of the day, I never worry about mummies too much. You know that? Mummies, they're spiritual. Daddies, they're busy. And they can easily get sidetracked. One of the things that can happen in our homes is that we assume kids are saved. 
I could give you, Christian, 50 at least. I'm being conservative. Instances, case histories of kids who claim to be saved, were baptized even, that are not going on for the Lord today. Can, in your mind's eye, go there in your own mind's eye, and I bet you you know some people like that too. And what happens is they play church. They play Christian. It's easy to get the lingo. You know, my, I was saying to Rosie, and I said it to my daughter, I watched my five-year-old grandson, you know, because we're in the same chapel in, 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 in uh, Sudbury. Uh, you know, I watch. I'm a grandfather, okay? And I'm very concerned about my grandchildren because that's a responsibility. It says this about Abraham. I know Abraham, that he will uh, command his children and his grandchildren to follow after me. Genesis uh, chapter 18. I know Abraham. And so uh, I watch my little ones. Okay, we have 11 grandchildren, all in Sudbury. It's Grandpa Heaven, I call it. Okay, I can take a rock, I mean it, just about, and throw and hit my four kids' houses, my son and my three daughters, and we have 11 grandchildren. If I'd have known grandchildren that much fun, we'd have had them first. But anyway, um, I watch my little, I got a, 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 the second youngest of all my grandchildren, uh, his name is Brock. And uh, Brock, you know, uh, I got his, you know, he's just in kindergarten. But last year he was in junior kindergarten. You know, I think send the kids to school to Anyway, that's another issue. Anyway, but last year we got the report card. And, you know, I never take too seriously a report card on a four-year-old. You know what I mean? But he could never sit still. He always was interrupting in class and blah, blah, blah. They actually thought he might be a little bit autistic. And I, I do a lot of uh, uh, work on autis autism. And I said, I'm telling you, that kid's not autistic. And it wasn't because Grandpa was burying his head in the sand. I said, that kid is just a boy. <laughs> and he's a bad boy. And I tried to get Mommy and Daddy to uh, spank his little bottom more often. Anyway. But this year, in the last, it happened about, I'd say in the last uh, six months or so, that little guy got saved. Now, how do I know that? Well, first of all, you try and sit as a little kid for an hour and a half through the Lord's Supper. You know, and I, listen, parent, listen to me. Bring your kids to the chapel. Raise your kids in this place. God wants you to do that. God wants you to have their friends be here. Raise your kids here. And you know what? If they got snot coming out of their nose or they make some noise in the back, who cares when they're little ones? But get them to realize that this place is important to you, and it should be important to them. So, you know what it's like, right? Sit through an hour and a half, Lord's Supper, little four-year-old boy that wants to jump out of his, uh, his shoes. But we've watched in the last several months, this little guy, Grandpa, 
beside me. He can read. He's a smart little guy. I want you to sing this hymn, Grandpa. Get up and sing this one. Or to his dad. Daddy, number 11 in the black hymn book. I like that. You know? But it's not only that. It's not only that. Rosie oftentimes goes and picks him up after school. And the teacher pulled Rosie aside and said, You know what? What a change in this little boy. This little boy now, I can't believe it. He's so helpful. With We're going to give him an award. Because he helps the other kids get dressed. You know, listen, we live in the North Pole, remember? You've got to get dressed in northern Ontario. Okay? In the summer, too. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. But the teacher says to Rosie, I can't get over the change in him. Folks. That's what you ought to see in your kids. If they're saved by the grace of God, you never get saved without God affecting a change in your life. Now look, at a five-year-old, uh, maybe not going to go out and preach on the street corner there. But there will be a significant change. They'll become a, more obedient. And uh, things that you can see visibly. Parent, don't... Um, Bury your head in the sand. Because maybe your kids are not saved. Is there a worse deception than that deception? Don't let them just play games. And look, you can't force a kid to get saved. You can't. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I say never underestimate the power of prayer in the home. Pray. But watch and pray. Watch and pray. Rosie and I, um, every Friday night, and even to this day, now it ends about 4.30 now on Friday nights, because <laughs> I'm a senior. But for every Friday night, that was our date night. My kids knew it. They were not to interfere. Mommy and Daddy are on their date. And uh, parents, look at me. Look at me. You're not looking. Have dates. What happened to you guys? Right? What happened? Romance. Christian marriages falling apart at the seams. That's not right. Have a date. <laughs> we go out on our dates, Rosie and I. And uh, Chinese food every Friday night. So you want to know? You want to know where we are? Chinese, every Friday night. For the last how many years? Forty years. 42. Well, I've been married 42, but I've only been saved. We were, uh, I only got saved after we were married for 10 years. So we started dating uh, almost the day I got saved. What a smart thing to do. I got it back in spades. Beautiful. But you know what we used to do too? We used to go over our kids. We used to sit there and say, okay. And you know, there's nothing like a mother. You know, daddy, he can, you know, daddy's daddy. And uh, I used to, my dad used to tell me, listen, son, you're going to have to get up awful early to fool your father. But 
my wife's got a lot of wisdom. And she would tell me what was really going on with every one of our four kids. And we would sit there, and you know what we'd do? We came together, and we decided, when we decided, we decided together what was the best approach in prayer, and what was the best approach to raise those children. I tell you what, Christian, it really works. It really works. God will bless that. And parents, I'm going to tell you something, you better be on the same page. Because sometimes daddy wants to lay out the punishment, or mommy, and one of you undoes it. Anybody in the room ever done that? Don't do that. If it bothers you, talk to your spouse afterwards. But I tell you what, you get on that same page because otherwise those kids are going to figure you out big time and fast. Do not underestimate the power of uh, prayer in the home. Never underestimate, lastly, never underestimate the certainty of prophecy. What did Samuel hear? In chapter 2, we don't even know the guy's name. All we're told in chapter 2 is that Eli got a message from the man of God. And a man of God came and told him that he was a lousy father. And that he honored his sons more than he honored God. In chapter 3, we read that now God, again, bypasses Eli and sends a message to Samuel. And Samuel was so taken aback by the message that he was given by God concerning Eli and the priesthood that would be ripped out of Eli's hands. Never underestimate the certainty of prophecy. Folks, listen. The Word of God, the future, you have it, as Aaron said, right in front of you. It should never surprise you what's going on in the world. Does ISIS surprise you? No. It ought not to, Christian. Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that it's not going to get better. Can I tell you something, Christian? Don't join anything to save this world. You know, look, I'm not saying that you shouldn't respect the environment. I've got a little blue can or whatever you have down here. It's green in Canada. Okay? And, you know, I put away the, uh, you know, the plastics and whatever so they can be recycled. Good for you. Be a good steward of what God has given you. But, Christian, don't get hung up on that. You know, when you hear Al Gore talk about climate change, in Canada, you know what we call it? The Four Seasons. <laughs> you know, listen. The certainty of prophecy In the end times, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Not going to get better. You're not, God didn't leave you here to become a politician so that you can change. You know, I I hope Obama, you know, I don't like him. 
I don't. I'm more interested in American politics. Canadian is boring. It is. It's boring compared to the American. Because you guys start the day after the election. Right? And I'm conservative by nature, so, you know, I sort of like the Republicans. Right? Like me. That, if I was in, in the U.S. of A. But come on. Do you think they're going to change the world? You know, if Marco Rubio, who announces tomorrow, it becomes the president. Well, you couldn't be worse than Obama. But, you know. Nah, that's my opinion. But listen. Listen to what I'm saying to you. It doesn't matter. Because the Bible tells us what's going to happen in the future. And even as Aaron said, isn't it wonderful that you and I live in a time that we can take our Bibles, and not that they couldn't in the past, because the Bible was, you know, we don't know when Christ is going to come back, and the tribulation is going to start, but it's not going to start with me. I will be gone. Read your Bibles. You know that people think, oh, you know what, we're going to live through the tribulation. Well, not if you're a Christian, you won't. If you live through the tribulation, I think you're going to spend eternity in hell. How's that? You know why? Because if you live through the tribulation, you've already said no to God. And in Second Thessalonians, I think it's pretty clear that if you've rejected the gospel, and you know what, by the way, if you're sitting here today, and, and, and you, you say, well, you know what, um, you know, in your own mind, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking, but this could be a thought. Well, you know what, uh, it's not that Tony's cr- necessarily crazy, but, you know, this is not for me at this time. You have rejected the gospel. The gospel, the Bible tells us, has to be believed, then obeyed. You can't just say, well, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but so does the devil. Yeah. You've got to act on it. That's saved. That's obeying the God. You have to obey the gospel. And that means your life is changed. You've received Christ as your Savior. You've done it personally. And your life has never been the same. Has that happened to you? I ask you folks, has that really happened to you? Otherwise, you're just playing games. And prophecy tells us that those people who have rejected the gospel will not get another chance during the tribulation. When God deals with that nation of Israel again. Right now, He's not dealing with them. He's just setting it up. But he's, he, God's not dealing with Israel now. God's dealing with the church now. And you know what your responsibility is, Christian? Go out and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You're to go out onesies and twosies. If you get a chance for a conversation, either at the beach or at your next door neighbor or maybe where you're working, that's what God wants you to do. You're a missionary. You don't have to go across the seas. That's your responsibility. Don't 
think of changing the world. You know what? You could become the President of the United States, and I'll tell you, a Christian sitting here today is in higher esteem in God's eyes than the President of the U.S. of A. Can I tell you that? You're more important to God than he or she. So don't aspire for something that will never change the world. God is going to change this world when he comes back and, and is back on the throne where he belongs. In the meantime, the certainty of prophecy. What happened to Eli? Samuel said, it's, 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 gonna, it's like it's going to burn a hole in your ears. You won't believe because the priesthood was such a, it was such a responsibility. And you can imagine Samuel, even though he was, you know, Josephus tells us, by the way, I don't know if this is true or not. But I looked this up and Josephus said, you know, at this time when this happened here, uh, Samuel was 12 years old. Can you imagine a 12-year-old trying to tell the high priest what was going to happen to him and his family? But you see, God didn't trust Eli anymore. And he came to a young boy. And he gave him the prophecy. Did it happen? Can I ask you? Did you read the Bible? Do you know what happened to Eli? Do you know what happened to his sons? And do you know that the priesthood was ripped away from his family? It took... You know, some of it happened. It's just like prophecy today, isn't it? Like sometimes you read and the Bible tells you, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Because I've got all sorts of people, you know, Facebook even, Christians. And this is going to happen and that's going to happen in the four moons. Have you heard that? The moons. You didn't hear that. Good for you. Don't read it. It's nonsense. You know, uh, you know, but there's all sorts of stuff out there. Oh, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and this is going to happen. Folks, listen to me. What's going to happen that you've got to be concerned about is what it says in the Bible. Some of it happened right away, right? All prophecies like that. Like the, the prophet's looking down. He didn't even understand it fully. God gave him a word and some of it was to happen right almost in front of him. But some of it happened generations, thousands of years later. This is what happened here. You see, Eli. What happened? Well, he died. His sons died. Direct result of sin. But it wasn't for at least a hundred years or more where that priesthood of Eli, in the, his family, his descendants, where it was ripped away from them. God said it was going to happen, and it happened exactly like God said. Folks, do not underestimate the certainty of prophecy. Let us pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, this morning. Thank you again for these uh, precious folks, Lord. I ask you to bless them, to honor them. Perhaps there's one here this morning. Father, maybe more, I don't know, but you do, that has never really um, trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I pray, Father, that the Word of God might take root in their lives. Father, I do pray for parents that are here, grandparents, what a responsibility you have given us, O oh God. 
Father, the last thing in the world we want is to be like Eli. Help us, Father, to, uh, uh, to, 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 to introspect, have a look. A look at our kids. A look at our grandchildren. Father, that we would pray specifically for them. Lord, if there's any hurtful way in them, show us as parents, Father. Show us, O oh God, how to be good moms and good dads, to be spiritual, to do the right thing, to honor you, not to honor our kids above you. Oh God, help us, Father. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh-huh.